compliments worship in the spirit. Because our God that we worship is the spirit. So I want you to just focus on the Lord. He's the only one who can change our life for better. He loves us so much. Let's think about this, this guy. The Bible says that when he created man, he still came to give his life as an offering, as a living sacrifice, as a gift to us. This is the God that we serve. Think about the Lord. Forget about whatever you are going through. He's here to touch you. You want to pray? Father, we want to thank you. We bless you. The good way that you started, Father, you prayed that may the fire be increased today. We ask for your Holy Spirit in our midst. May you touch our hearts. Because the Bible says that we should cut our hearts. Because out of the heart flows everything. We pray that you come and grow in our hearts. But when you are in our hearts, oh Lord, good things will flow in our lives. Come in our minds before you. We pray that Holy Spirit may you take control of our minds, oh Lord. So that our thoughts will be of the thought of you, oh Lord. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' mighty name, let the saints say amen. Amen. Period. The end. 
because he loves you. So as I'm sharing this testimony slash word, the found I just want to let you know that the foundation is love. Just for the mere fact that God loves you. So I was a youth here a couple years back. Not a couple, I don't know, some years back. <laughs> a few years back. I was a youth here. <laughs> and you know, I I always thank God for Ebenezer Presbyterian Church. Because it is here that God sowed seeds within me and the lives of many others to be able to even do what we do now. To be able to even I never thought that I could sing. It's in Ebenezer Presentation that I found that God had placed that gift in me. I never thought that I could preach. It's within Ebenezer Presbyterian that God showed me that you have a calling to preach. So I always thank God for this youth, for this church. No matter what it is, I thank God for it. But I was a youth here. Um, eventually became, what was in the um, worship and what you call it? Worship a priest team. Eventually became, you know, a leader. And oh Lord, you want to make me I'm sorry. The Lord is asking me to share this testimony. I don't want to, but I have to be here. And I got pregnant. I was not married. Um, and you know, within our community, and especially within the church, as a big stigma. You know what I'm saying? You're going to get fingers pointed at you. You're going to get talked about. You know, um, it was a lot in that moment. I did eventually get married. But after that, I, I left the church. I found myself in a place of depression. I was depressed because, number one, I was coming from a home that was very broken. I had a father who was an alcoholic for the many years of my life. He was an alcoholic. I didn't know, though my father was good when he was sober, I didn't know what it meant to have stability at home. I didn't know what it meant to have the father's love because I didn't get that from my biological father. He was present in the physical, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually, he was not present. And we know that a lot of the times, especially within us women or young ladies, when that father is not present, it pushes us into relationships that are not necessarily healthy or pushes us into situations that are not good for us. And even in the men, the young men too. So I went through this phase of depression and in that time I don't think I really knew who I truly was who God had called me to be as a woman as a young woman I didn't know who I truly was here I was I'm a wife I'm gonna be a mother and my foundation is cracked I don't have a stable foundation and it threw me into a phase of depression and of course, I was dealing with the shame and the guilt of, of getting pregnant and being a leader and, and whatnot and within the youth, you know, and 
unfortunately we do come from a community that though there were many people that like Uncle Albert Bishop who are still very supportive but we do come from a community where you're going to get more fingers pointed at you than more fingers extended to you to help that's the community we come from and I think it's human nature in general and um I was beating myself up a lot. Beating myself up a lot. It was not until some years later that, you know, the Lord whispered to me, you're being prideful. And I said, how am I being prideful? He said, if I have forgiven you, why aren't you forgiving yourself? That's pride. And I was like, Lord, <laughs> pride, you know what I've been through, you see what I'm going through, you see all this mess and this chaos, how? I had to humble myself in that moment, and when I did, that is when the Lord began to heal me in that area, that is when he began to bring me up out of depression, because in that phase, you know, I knew I was supposed to be speaking the word and singing and whatnot. I didn't want to because I felt like it wasn't worthy to even do so. So, you know, fast forward. Fast forward. Um, you know, I'm married, have a little son, going through life, you know, trying to go to school and da 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 Fast forward to 2019. And I remember in the beginning of 2019, the Lord had called me to a fast. Mind you, I was not somebody that was fasting ever in my life. If I was to fast, it would be very mediocre kind of thing. But the Lord called me to a three-day fast, no food. So I was just drinking water and coconut water. And I remember the Lord began to show me many things. Even within my dreams. He would show me delivering women. He would show me heal. He would show me healing people in dreams. He would show me me preaching. Like different things. And I was like, Lord, what what's happening? What's going on? But as time went on within that year, I began to understand that. God was drawing me. He was calling me to my purpose. And let me tell you guys, even as young men and women, it is very vital and necessary to be able to hear the voice of God. To be able to hear God's voice. Because guess what? In your times of trial and tribulation, it's when you need to hear. Even, even before that, but especially in the times of trials and tribulations, you need to hear the voice of God. Because that is what has carried me till now. So I realized that, you know, um, God was calling me. He was drawing me deeper and one day I bent down in my bathroom. I just, this floor is dirty, but I'll do it. I just bent down in my bathroom like this. And I 
cried unto the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't want to be in this life just to live, get houses, cars, get degrees, and then leave this life. I want to be used for your purpose. So Lord, use me. I did not know <laughs> that the Lord was about to, that I was about to go through some fire. began seeing dreams of me and my son, some of them good, some of them bad, spiritual warfare, whatever, whatever. But I wouldn't see my husband in those dreams. And I was like, why am I seeing just me and my son? I'm not seeing my husband in the dreams. I'm, it's not making sense to me. So, you know, I just kept praying. I just kept praying. October 2019, I believe it was on the second, I went with my husband to, uh, he started having severe headaches. Um, he started experiencing blindness in one of his eyes, I think with the right eye. And so we had to go check it out. He went to the eye doctor to change his glasses. And they were like, something, your eye is like pretty much bulging out a little bit. So you need to go check it hurriedly. We went into the, he went and got a scan. And then we went in and they were like, oh, you have a huge tumor. I think on the right side of his brain or something like that. And you got to go into the emergency like right now. Mind you, this man was driving, he was doing everything. Okay, so I'm like, all right, we're good, you know, because I have this belief, you're not about to touch me and my family. We're good, you know what I'm saying? Ain't, ain't nothing about to happen to me or mine. So I was like, okay, we're good. So the second we go into the hospital and they're like, you know, we got to do surgery, da 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 I didn't know. I think the extent of what was going on. I didn't recognize the extent of what was going on because I was like, we're good. That was my mindset. So fast forward to the fifth, I believe. The surgery took place to remove this very large um, tumor. And I was there, I think from 5 a.m. all the way up until 10 p.m., whatever, 11 p.m.-ish. We're like, what's going on? It's not supposed to take this long. What's going on? Me and some of the family members are like, you know, what's happening? Oh, he's gonna be out, he's gonna be out, he's gonna be out. Okay. Eventually, the surgeon comes out. He's like, well, you know, something happened. We have to revive him twice. He bled out and whatever, whatever. And I'm like, Okay, now this is getting a little serious here. So I sat, I sat there and I prayed. And I said, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but do something. So I don't know what's happening. I don't know the extent of what's happening right now. Eventually they called us upstairs. We go up to where the, the surgery area is. They pull us into a room. It was like me and I think his mother. Yeah. We, they pull us into a room and they're basically telling us, like, he's not going to make it. That's, this is it. You have to go in and give your bye-byes to 
I'm like, I felt like I was in a whirlwind. I was caught in a, like, it was not real for me in that moment. So I was just like, wait, me? <laughs> it's no, it's a lie. So I was like, I, I was like, y'all, what are you guys saying? Like, make it make sense to me here in, the, in this present moment. And they were like, yeah, pretty much it has no brain activity. It's pretty much done. You gotta go in and say bye. I told them to leave the room. And I bent down and I said to the Lord, I'm not gonna be no widow at the age of 28. That's not my portion. I, I can't be a widow right now, Lord. That's, that's not for me. We prayed. I called a couple of people. We went in the room and I didn't want, initially, I didn't want to go in the room because I didn't want to see him in that state. So we got in the room and here's this man that you've known for years, even more than the six years that you've been married and he's been lying and lifeless. And he has tubes all going on, on, you know, going inside his mouth and nose and whatnot. And I couldn't even cry in that moment because I was in such a state of shock. And I had to say my goodbyes. We said our goodbye. I said my goodbye. His heart stopped. I had to go home and tell my son, who was five at the time, this was a week before his sixth birthday, that daddy's gone. He's not coming back. He's in heaven. And of course, his five-year-old mind can only comprehend what it can comprehend at the moment. I share this testimony because after that, you know, you go through the funeral phase, everybody's with you and we're there for you. They bring you food every week, but then it gets to the point where everybody has to go back to life. It's just you and God. And it was hard. And I knew that if I did not lean on God, I would lose it, and my child would be a full orphan, because I would be gone too. I knew that if I did not hold on to the hem of Jesus, that would be it for me. You know what I'm saying? And the only thing that helped me in that moment was not man. Nothing that man said to me could comfort me. It was only the voice of God that brought comfort to me. When I read, went to read his Bible, it brought comfort to me. When I went to, sometimes I couldn't even pray. I just cried. I just lay there and cried. That is what brought comfort to me. And I think the only thing that saved me was I knew that my identity was in God. At the end of the day, I knew that even in that room where my husband was taking his last breath, his presence was there with me. I believed it. Even in my time of sorrow, I knew that his presence was there with me. And that is what saved me. And sometimes I get worried for this generation because life is very real and it comes at you very fast, but we don't know our identity. We don't know who we are in God. 
And so the enemy plays a fo football games on our minds that leads us into depression and suicide and whatnot and whatnot. But I knew that no, I still have a calling on my life. I knew that I am still a daughter of God. I'm still a royal priesthood. And so I'm going to clutch and hold on to the God that I know. And that is the only thing that saved me. Many of you are going to go on onto college. And there are going to be many things that are going to come at you. Different doctrines and people with different spirits that are not of God. And different things are going to come at you. Life is going to get even more real than it is now. But you have to know who you are. You have to know who you are. Or else <laughs> the trials and tribulations of this life will switch you, turn you into somebody that you are not. And take you down a very crazy and dark road. And so when we stand up here and we are, you guys feel like if we are trying to hammer this word into you, you know, or we're trying to force you to come to church, your parents are trying to force you to come to church and whatnot, whatnot. No, it's not just that. You need this to survive. You need this to live. I needed it to survive. I needed it to live. I needed God's words to bring, breathe life back into my spirit. I needed to hear his voice for him to see the tears out of my eyes. I needed it. And so if I, you know, sometimes people, some, some of the young ladies that, you know, I mother, they look at me and like, like, you know, I want to be like you. And it's like, be like Jesus. Please, be like Jesus, because I'm super flawed. I'm 110% flawed. So, on your part, listen, God has given you everything that you need. He would not bring his son down here to come and do what he did and die on the cross for your sins. I'm not going to give my son to nobody because they cut none. I'm not going to do that. But God loves you so much. <laughs> God loves you so much that he would wrap himself in flesh to come down here and die the type of death that he died because he wanted to save your tail. He wanted to save my tail. All for the fact that he loved me. Does it make sense? Does it make any sense? But we can't even fathom God's love. His love doesn't even make sense to us. All he's asking for, he's giving you that ultimate sacrifice. All he's asking from you and me is give me your life. Give me your mind. Give me your mind. Give me your existence. Because imagine if God didn't come down. Do you know how crazy? 
You think the world is crazy now? It would be hell. Legit. Literally hell. And God never promised us that we are not going to go through hard times. That is something that we have to understand. My Uncle Albert stood up here and said, He never promised us that there won't be hard times. That we won't experience death or loved ones. That we won't experience trauma. That we won't experience uh, 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 depression and whatnot or anxiety. But what he has promised us is for him to be with us every step of the way. Even in the shadow of the valley of death, he will be with us every step of the way. So all he's requiring of you and I is for us to come to him. Be in the secret place. And when we say secret place, I'm not talking about just locking yourself in the closet in your bedroom and praying to God, which is very good. Please still do. But being in a secret place means that I can be at work or school and I can still be thinking about the goodness of the Lord. I can still be pondering on who God is. I can still be making melodies in my heart onto the Lord. Do you know who God has called you to be? Do you, when I look around this room, there is so much power in here. There are so, much, so many good things in here so much invested into you that he's willing to break down walls and kick down whatever. But what is that song? Tear down lies just to go after you. And that has been my life. Even when I turn my back against him, I, against him and I disobeyed, he still ran after me and chased after me. And that is what he wants to do with your life. Young men, you guys are battling so much. So much. There is so much pressure on men in this society. And it hurts to sometimes come here and see how melancholy you guys are. I don't know what the word is. How relaxed you guys are. When there is so much invested in you all. When God has placed so much fire in your bellies. When you guys are supposed to be the ones up here preaching and teaching to us. That's the truth. But yeah, you sit there like this. It's not a word of condemnation. I'm being real with y'all. Women, when we come here and we think it's all about being prissy and cute. Being prissy and cute is not going to save you. I love looking good. Y'all look bomb. I love it. I love the nails, the hair, and whatever, whatever. But that is not what defines you. You looking good here is not what defines you. When you go to social media and you see all the girls that you compare yourselves to, they look good. Oh my gosh, she always got the new clothes. If she always got the shoes, her nails always done her hair. Do you know how broken she is within the inside? The word says that God, he doesn't look at this. He don't look at the white painted toenails and the cute nails. He don't look at that. He looks at the inside because he's placed something grand and purposeful within the inside of you. 
So can we can we be on our feet? Let's all stand up. It's my turn.